Welcome to Playing With Fire, the podcast for people who are ready to custom build their love. We're talking about non-monogamy, however you design it, as an individuation opportunity. Want to leave the default and make your life spectacularly you? You're in the right place. We have a fantastic episode today. Thank you so much for talking with me with somebody we both really admire. Elizabeth Kristoff. Right. So this is a great episode for anybody who's ever experienced any distress (laughs) while in their relationships. Ever felt not calm, a little off? (laughs) No, it's okay. We we have talked with Elizabeth before and you and I also trained with Elizabeth um, and Matt Bush and Melanie Weller in nervous system regulation. Their particular style of it is neurosomatic intelligence and the bottom line is this episode is another another place to talk about and think about and learn what like why do we need to regulate our nervous system what does that look like what does it accomplish um but also like what comes up in relationships that makes this so important yeah right. and you and I are often working with people who are making big transitions those tend to bring up a lot of dysregulation, a lot of feelings, a lot of confusion stuff. It makes perfect sense. It does. Transition, change is by its very nature, dysregulating. Right. And so we have to figure out what do we do? How do we manage that? What do we do to make it productive for us to make change? Because it's all, it is not a solution to just say, well, I won't change anything. That that's not a solution, not for a growing, like, alive human. So if you are an alive human, um, I recommend that you learn how to operate your nervous system. And Ken and I have some tools that we are more than happy to share with people. Um, But one of the key points Elizabeth makes in this episode is that your nervous system is your nervous system. She's going to make the point very exquisitely, believe her. And then yeah, go. She's got a great um, free gift for you at the end. Um, you'll also find the link in the comments. And you're going to want to grab this because learning how to work your nervous system requires you to do a deep dive with your body. You can't do this. Like it's great to scroll through Instagram and see people like presenting tools, including me. Yeah, you know, presenting tools here. Try this. But until you really put these things to the test and literally learn to test and drill and reassess, you're going to be not getting the most out of your nervous system. You're like tied with one hand tied behind your back. Right. So let's, let's do this better. Um, And this episode is filled also with some of the times when you might find yourself dysregulating Um, just some reminders that these are dysregulating events. So it's great to just talk to somebody else who is working with people who are not perfect. Oh, right. Right. Like all of us. Like all the people. We're just people. It's sometimes I think dysregulation gets a bad rap, like as if we're supposed to be regulated all the time. Right. And we're not talking about there's a problem. We're talking about, well, you know, I think I could do this a little better if I wasn't quite so excited right now or something like that. Or, hey, I'm I'm noticing that I numb out a lot. In fact, this just happened to us last night. I um. I am not typically avoidant in our relationship, but I I experienced a dysregulation. I got triggered by something. And then, yeah, I spent about an hour avoiding and numbing. And your nervous system was... It was overloaded. Yeah. And I went into hypo arousal. Mm-hmm. So it's not always about being big and, and overexcited or angry. Sometimes it's about, oh... I'm actually, I'm, I'm dissociating. I'm leaving. Um, and it was, it's interesting to me. And I want to name this. Ken and I have trained in this. We use it every day. Um, we teach it and still I forgot, I forgot to use my tools. You you mentioned that today. And I'm like, Oh, oh, right. 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 So, so we were tired and it was late. And so we, we muddled through in the pattern that we used to use. It was not time efficient. Right. So that is a huge thing because these tools take so little time. Right. If I had said they can fix things, change things so fast, new input gets a new output. If I had spent five minutes, even 
regulating at that point, um, I could have saved us a couple of hours yeah. of time um, and gotten us to the spot where we wanted to be. Because what we wanted was to reconnect. And both of us wanted to. We were both staying engaged um, in different ways. Like I wasn't leaving. I was there, but I wasn't really there. You were trying to fix it. Mm -hmm. So you'd gone into your fix it mode. I totally get why. And either one of us might have noticed oh. and reached for some yeah. tools. And we did eventually. And and the tools that we chose are ones that are easy for us to reach for. Because we know part of our operator's manual. Right. We know where to go. So you need to outfit yourself with these tools. And some people are going to get frustrated listening to this episode or any of the episodes on nervous system regulation saying, okay, but tell me how to do it. Here's the thing. It's yours. So it's just not as simple as me saying, okay, do these three things every day. And if you do these three things every day, your nervous system will be regulated. Instead, you need to learn how to, how, which ones are likely to give you a high payoff, but also how to test in the moment, because at any given moment, your nervous system needs different input in order to get a positive output. So, so as you can why. see, we have lots to say <laughs> about this. There's lots to say. And Elizabeth's going to leave you with a great way to train in this. Yeah. So don't get nervous. And if you are like, heck, I, I don't even need to listen to the episode. I am already in. Hit the show notes because um, Elizabeth's got two free weeks for you um, that you're going to want to get some training with her. And if you're in my programs and you're already doing some nervous system work with me directly or with Ken directly, great. Um, you can still benefit from yeah. learning from Elizabeth. So yeah, with with no further ado, I'm just going to say Elizabeth Kristoff is my personal favorite nervous system expert. She has trained with the best. She has created a remarkable program with Matt Bush and Melanie Weller called Nervous. Uh, I did it. I'm dysregulated right now. Maybe a little bit. Elizabeth, Melanie, and Matt teach in the Neurosomatic Intelligence course, which I believe is enrolling for another cohort. So if people. you're so if interested you're really into in this, getting better at working with your nervous system, yeah, there. there's even another whole level you can take this to. Um, Elizabeth's work is found easily at brainbasedwellness.com. But first, you're going to want to listen to all the brilliance she has. So here you go. Hi, Elizabeth. It's so, so good to be here with you and having your voice join us to talk about neurosomatic intelligence and how they, how all of that brain stuff impacts relationships. So thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I love to see both of you and I'm really glad to be here. So Ken and I were talking about this episode and it was funny because since we trained with you, so we trained to be neurosomatic intelligence coaches. And since we did that, so much of our relationship has shifted to include conversations about neurology and about, <laughs> about like having a brain and having a body mind. And it was an unexpected side effect I thought that it would come up so often. Yeah, but as I, soon as we got into it, I could see it. Exactly, exactly. So I was excited to have an opportunity to invite you onto the podcast because we're noticing that it changed our relationship and we already knew a lot of stuff. Like we we were starting with like some high level somatics training already in place and still there was all of this missing information. So I want to dig into the fundamentals yeah, and get listeners set up to apply what you teach so brilliantly. Would you just start us off, Elizabeth, and tell everybody a little bit about why you even teach this? Like, why do you do this? You seem to care about it so darn much. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, I think kind of going into what you guys were talking about, how once you start to learn, we have a nervous system. It's our operating system. It drives so much of the way that we experience the world, but also the way that we behave in the world. And that absolutely includes not only just my individual behaviors, but how I am in relationship to other human beings, how I am in intimate relationship. My ability to be safe in the world is really dictated by my nervous system function. And especially if we have a lot of trauma in our past. And it doesn't have to be big T. It could be high stress over, you know, for a long time over time. Really, if we, if we live in the world, um, our nervous system also often gets primed for survival over connection. Um, 
And so with all of that said, it's just really important to me that people have the tools to understand first and foremost, how their nervous system works, because I think we should all be able to be the experts of our own nervous system and to know how to impact change, to drive our life in the direction that we want. Um, and then to have really practical, actionable tools that you can use to create change in your nervous system so that you can live a life that aligns with who you want to be. Right. And I myself have known for so long, like there were all these ways that I wanted to be in the world. And it would be really frustrating because I would find myself stuck in relational patterns, behaviors, um, thought loops, pain, autoimmune that I just couldn't figure my way out of. And it wasn't until I found neurosomatic tools that I could really begin to implement all the things I knew cognitively to make real change in all those areas. That's the trick. It is. The goal of being who you <laughs> want to be is, well, it drove a lot of my life for pretty much my whole life. Like, I want to be this person. I'm going to try to do that, but I'm trying to do it and things keep getting in my way and I keep acting in ways opposite to what I want. And um, there's a big difference between knowing it cognitively, yeah. have un, being able to recite yeah. the identity you would like to embody and being in, moment, in a, a state of being able to embody that, that being. Yeah. It's identity change. It's not like it's what you're talking about is nothing short of functional identity transformation if someone chooses to engage in it. That really is what it is. And because, you know, in, in NSI and neurosomatic intelligence, we say a lot, like there really aren't personality traits. There's, there's just reactions, yeah. frequently occurring reactions, frequently occurring outputs of your nervous system. And all of that is changing all of the time in response to stimulus, right? We are neuroplastic beings and we're never, constant. We are always adapting, always changing, but neuroplasticity isn't good or bad inherently. It just is, right? So that change can be moving in a negative direction. It can be moving in a positive direction. And when we understand how to communicate with our nervous system, when we understand that we have a nervous system and that it's driving a lot of those behaviors, then we can have some agency over how that change occurs, whether we're moving that change in a positive or negative direction intentionally. Right. So when I'm working with people and Ken joins me in every group we run and the groups that we run are generally a bunch of people trying to make big change. They're like, they're intentionally either they are shifting from a monogamous paradigm to a non-monogamous paradigm, or they're already, they're living it. They're out there having what I refer to as complex relationships, relationships where they can't rely on the cultural script to just say, this is how you should respond. This is how it is to be a person. You have to instead intentionally act, which means people need to be able to lean into that plasticity in a proactive way, not in that way that, it, I mean, you're right, we're just changing all the time. But if you're trying to create a new relationship style for yourself and actually live it in a way that feels good, that basic question. I remember the first time I heard you say, like, the nervous system is just asking one question. Am I safe? Am I safe? Am I safe? So when you go to make big changes, especially in these big relationships that you count on to create a sense of safety, it makes perfect sense to me to nest together this a, a, a functional, like, useful way that I can just show up and treat my body to, to enable it. To, do, to make these changes. Yeah. But what I'm noticing is I still struggle to explain, and I would love to hear your take. Like, what does, how do I know that I'm struggling with being regulated or like with nervous system dysregulation? Because it's such a buzzword at this point. I feel like people aren't necessarily sure what it means to be regulated or dysregulated. Yeah. So I think there's so much the juicy stuff and what you just talked about. And I think the the population that you're working with, like it is 
a really big ask of the nervous system, the things that they want to create in their life. Because I think change one is inherently threatening to the nervous system, even though we are always changing and adapting in this very micro level, our brains also function on pattern recognition. The body's trying to maintain homeostasis. And so when we create big change in our life, it's less predictable and our brain likes predictable things. And so it, it increases the amount of stress that you're under when you're making big change. And especially if that change is relational because relational attachments, social attachments are deeply, deeply embedded in our feeling of safety at a survival level. And that goes, you know, way back to infancy when we had to maintain those attachments to stay alive. You know, human babies aren't, um, it's, it's not like survival of the fittest, right? It's not like who can run, what baby can run faster or fight harder. It's like, no, what baby has caregivers that are attuned to their needs right? and, and has the safe, secure environment where they can learn how to process their emotions and regulate their nervous system. That's the survival of the fittest in, in infancy. In yeah. Yeah. In humans. And mm -hmm. so that need becomes very, very deep and real. You said a phrase right at the beginning about um, connection over survival or survival over connection. And like, there it is. Like, as an infant, it's not a trade-off. <laughs> connection is survival. That's right. And then somewhere along the way, we learn that survival is somehow separate from connection. And our brains develop to a point where part of them is like survival at all costs, even if it, you know, kills even everyone, including me. Right, even Wait, if I have to disconnect, sense. even if I have to disconnect, which is then a a perverse way to meet that need because it doesn't work. We know yeah. it doesn't work, but we will still do it in a moment, right? Which like, shows up in that what we were talking about about I want I want to be this way, but I keep making these decisions that are opposite to it. Right. And yeah. Exactly. So exactly. And yeah, at some point it was it was more dysregulating, more harmful to try to maintain the attachment with a caregiver that was very dysregulated or um, incapable of providing those needs. So you learned an extreme amount of self-reliance and self-protection over connection for safety. Um, and, and then so like, how do you know, how do you know when you're being driven by dysregulation by a nervous system that's not regulated. So first of all, what is regulation? And that really is just the ability to have the appropriate amount of activation in your nervous system for whatever task you're about to do, right? So if I'm going to go work out, I want a certain amount of sympathetic nervous system activation. I need some sympathetic nervous system activation, which is like your arousal part. It makes your heart beat faster. Um, your muscles contract. And it's really without any sympathetic activation, I couldn't move. I couldn't sit here and talk to you. I couldn't be active in the world. And then we have our parasympathetic state of our nervous system, which is what brings us down out of that activated state and allows our body to rest and repair so that we can have some downtime to adapt to stimulus, to digest our food, to regenerate inside of our body. And so we're always moving between those states, between sympathetic and parasympathetic and being regulated is the ability to modulate between those states and to be in the in the right level of activation so that I'm not sitting here doing this podcast with you guys and inside my body I'm so activated that it's like I'm being chased by a predator right, right. that's too much energy that's too costly and then it's the ability to after an activity that I am more activated for after I work out, after I move around in the world to be able to come down out of that state and not get stuck for a long period of time in a really high stress state. Yeah. Okay. I had not planned to ask this question or even posit this, but I, I've been talking to people today specifically about, about the threat of dating. Like, so if you have been in a monogamous situation for quite some time, and whether this is because now you're divorced or because now you're non-monogamous, all of a sudden you're out in the dating world, 
what you're saying is so spot on. You're going to put yourself into an activated state. You're like just putting yourself out there. So like whether that's getting on a site or asking somebody out in real life, whatever it is, you're exposing yourself, which means there's a level of, of you need to be able to modulate between this. Okay. I'm going to be big now. I'm going to, I'm going to be forward and present and also not be this like afraid wire. This like over overwrought person and this is now just a normal thing we do in our life like regulation is normal because it sounds like something that's so super um it sounds really high tech the way we're discussing it but this is just like what humans are wired to do we're wired to be able to take on things like big workouts or go out on a date or <laughs> or get up on a stage and speak we are we we are prepared to do these things. But for some reason, a lot of us aren't able to do that modulation very well. So it's not so much that we can't do the thing. It's that we're not able to do it in a comfortable state. Is that how you would describe it? Yeah. I think that there's a lot of reasons why we're not able to. And so just like you said, it absolutely, there's going to be times where we get activated and a lot of the stress in today's world is is social stress, is work stress. It's not physical stress. It's not like we're out actually running or fighting, fleeing. Um, but the stress comes from going out on a date and you are going to get activated from that probably. there's a, The stakes are high. There's lots of past reasons why that could feel threatening, um, being judged, all of that stuff, right, is coming into play. So you're gonna get stressed out. Dysregulation happens. <laughs> period. Dysregulation. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but we, you know, in a healthy nervous system, we can experience that maybe for the first bit of the day. And then our system will start to ease in and regulate so that we can be present. We can stay connected with the other person. We can have a conversation. And then afterwards, especially we're able to discharge the stress of that and come back into, you know, go home, feel relaxed and back in our safe little environment, go to bed, nervous system repairs, everything is great. However, most of us have deficits in our nervous system. We live in a really dysregulating society. We also have past trauma that makes that stress response way higher than it should be. So maybe, you know, I'm out on the date and instead of being activated for the first few minutes, I am within the first five minutes dissociated and can't really feel into my body. I'm not present or it's really panicky inside. Yeah. When I leave the day, I'm very, very activated. And in order to come down out of that state, I either have to engage in a maladaptive coping behavior, like drink a bunch of alcohol or eat a bunch of food or smoke some cannabis or whatever it is, because I can't do it on my own anymore. And, and so, or I just stay in that high stress state. I get insomnia and eventually I burn out, feel really stressed out. And all of a sudden I don't even want to date anymore. It's not worth it because it's too much for me. Yeah. So you've mentioned insomnia and, and dissociation and some of the like real big, uh, the big feelings and, and experiences. What are some of the more subtle ways that uh, people might feel dysregulated? Like how, how does someone know when they're dysregulated? Yeah. So let's look at dissociation in, in that, right? So dissociation itself is on this big spectrum right? You, people think like, oh, I'm dissociated. So I'm, I've, I've lost time or I'm um, changed into a completely out of body experience, but it can be, it, it can be all kinds of subtle ways that we're maybe no longer able to feel the internal sensations in our body. So that's a problem because I can't feel my gut instinct. I can't read this other person's nervous system the way that I want to when I'm out on a date and react to it and know what my really know how my nervous system is responding to this person and what my intuition is telling me, right? It is so important. I mean, you can't detect a red flag or a green flag. You can't detect that if you are in a numbed, dissociated and this so this is falls under the umbrella of dysregulation. There are lots of patterns of dysregulation. The dissociated pattern, you're not going to be in a state where you can really be a good judge of whether this person is somebody you should go on a second date with. 
Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so how do you look for those little subtle signals? Well, one, I can't feel in my body. That's just one little signal. Maybe it's this, I I can't stop reaching for my phone and wanting to like scroll and numb out, right? I can't stop the compulsion to check out in some way. Um, Maybe it's that I can't, um, I can't, I can't articulate my thoughts very well. I'm starting to lose my cognitive abilities to express myself. Um, I would find when I was still dating, I, I would dissociate some and all of a sudden I would be talking to this person. And normally I'm, I'm pretty, in, I, I'm pretty articulate. I can communicate my ideas pretty well. And I would find myself losing words or like saying the wrong word a lot, the wrong thing. And I I was like, why is this happening to me? This never happens. And I realized it was because I was in a slightly dissociated state. And so you can have all these more subtle, softer signals that you're dissociated. You can also experience threat signals in your body um, in all kinds of different ways. A lot of times when I'm starting to get dysregulated, I might feel a little bit of pain at the site of an old injury. And pain is an output of my nervous system when my threat level is getting high. So if I'm starting to experience a little bit of pain, maybe a little bit of a headache, uh, maybe my jaw is clenching up a little bit, these are all signals coming from my body. Hey, the stress level is getting pretty high. We need to do something to re-regulate or discharge this stress because we're moving into a really activated state. That's it. And so the activated state is preparing to respond to a threat. But let's just say we're on a date and we're in a location we feel is generally safe, like it's a, a place that we know and we understand. And the person, we we feel like we vetted them appropriately, like we don't feel like there's any reason, you know, cognitive reason we shouldn't connect with this person. And yet sometimes we find that we get all these smaller clues that add up to, ah, my body wants to prepare to go into threat response. And I just love the, the like putting it in that context reminds me that the, the other person doesn't have to be threatening for me to be in a threat response. I don't. And this is where for me, neurosomatic intelligence is such a productive way to work with relationships because it's not really about the other person. This might be a perfectly lovely human who is of no threat to me objectively. But that does not mean that I will not find myself in a dysregulated state because I come in with my own stuff. Yeah. It, I, I just feel like it re- returns us to our humanity, like collective humanity. It's not about them being a bad person or me being a bad person. We're just in our we're in our stuff and our embodied reality is tough to deal with sometimes. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I think it it really brings to mind this idea of, of neurotags. So there's this concept in neurology that neurons that fire together wire together. And when we have enough internal or external stimulus can be either one can be coming from within inside of us, or it can be from our environment, could be a person's facial expression, their tone of voice, um, smells, colors, a restaurant that reminds you of something else. Like if you get enough of those little cues, that activate a neurotag and then it excites all the other neurons that are linked in that pathway, right? And so when that happens, my nervous system will then move into the programmed linked protective response that it's used to when this tag is activated. And so that's when I get pushed into fight, fight, freeze, fawn, whatever adaptive protective trauma response my brain has learned is best in this particular situation to keep me alive. And it may not have anything to do with the other person other than that there's just enough in the environment, in them, in in the frame of mind that you went into to to pull that neurotag up and to create that response inside your body, inside your thoughts, in your reactions, and then you're in it. You're in your reflexive responses. And so this happens, I mean, so Ken and I have been together for 
like a long time now, 14 years in a romantic relationship. And I've known him my whole life. And still what you're describing happens. Sometimes we will go to a place and I, I have a, a fair amount of trauma history. I will notice that I am dysregulating. It usually turns into dissociation. And I start reacting as though he is even a threat. I, I know Ken incredibly well. I know, in fact, he's my biggest protector in most situations I will ever find myself in. And yet, in that state, I'm no longer responding from my actual self in the moment. Now I'm pulled into a previous state. You have a way of describing this that I find really helpful that I just love for you to yeah. describe it. Well, the th really important thing to remember about a neurotag, and a neurotag can create what's called an emotional flashback, which is a, a flashback where our emotional internal landscape matches a landscape that we experienced frequently, usually in childhood, right? And and when a neurotag is activated, survival neurotags are timeless. So they don't know this is happening in the past. This is this is a projection onto the future. This isn't really the present moment. They only live in the now. And when this tag gets activated, it actually changes the entire filtering system that your brain is using. So we take in so, so much information all of the time. I'm taking in information from my eyes, from my balance system in my inner ear, from my senses, from my touch, everything. And I'm, my brain is taking all of that in and it's filtering it through and only a little bit of it makes it to my cognitive brain. And what makes it up to my cognitive brain is my reality. That is the world that I am living in. And when I'm in a survival neurotag or an emotional flashback, that filtering system changes to become very hypervigilant of threat and to start to see and experience threat everywhere because it's in this very protective lens and it's letting through the pieces of information that it feels like are most necessary to protect you. And it's safer to assume that the threat is real. Right. And the threat doesn't have to be physical. The threat can be emotional. It can be abandonment. It can be uh, emotional pain, right? And so the way that I read my partner's facial expressions, the way that I hear their voice, the way that I interpret their intentions, everything changes with that filtering system. And in that moment, it is real. Like my reality actually shifted. Yeah, And it's almost impossible from a cognitive place to be like, this isn't true. And instead I, I switch into the reality where they are a threat. Right. I, I think this is like, this is a profound topic when it comes to relationships, because yeah. I, I'm also a big proponent of taking, you know, really like significant personal responsibility for knowing this, right? Because it, in our situation, for example, you know, so I'm much smaller than Ken is, it would be really, it would be possible for me to imagine that he needs to be responsible for responding to my nervous system threat all the time, right? And to, for me to pass that burden onto him. Now, we have a very negotiated relationship. So he does, in fact, take on some of the burden of working with my nervous system. And we trade that back and forth. And we're, we're very cognizant of making agreements around that. But what I find is most people make implicit expectations about like, no, if I if I have a nervous system response, now my partner needs to figure that out and respond in a in a timely and proficient manner to whatever threat state I'm feeling, except they're not in there. Your partner's yeah. not in there. They don't know that. And so mm -hmm. I mean, I I it's just such a complex topic to take personal responsibility, but also to be these like living in this world with other people who can't necessarily know what we know about the inside. Because I have my own nervous system and it doesn't mm -hmm. have all the neural tags that your that yours has. So when stuff happens, and... I don't have the same experience. Totally. And might be activated by feeling that her nervous system is perceiving you as a threat. Like, oh my God, I did something wrong. I'm bad. I'm this. And that activates 
um, the partner. How did you know I was married to a people pleaser? How did you? <laughs> and now I mean, it happens with me and my partner all the time too, right? Because I get triggered. I go into an emotional flashback. I My tendency is to pull away. He then feels abandoned and so on and so forth, you know, right. and it can spiral down. And so some of the things that I think are really helpful is one, like you said, like I do have to take a certain amount of personal responsibility for my self-regulation um, and to know my own nervous system enough to know I need to step out in this moment and do something that's going to help me re-regulate. And because I know how to speak the language of the nervous system, I know that I can provide sensory inputs to my nervous system that will change my internal landscape and can interrupt that neurotag. And so I have to kind of figure out my own nervous system in that way. One of the things that also really helps us too, is like, we have a word. It, it does really help if both people understand a little bit about the nervous system and have that shared language. And I think you'll appreciate this a lot too, um, because it's something kind of borrowed from the, um, BDSM, is that the right word? That's BDSM it. BDSM community. You're going to have a safe um, word, aren't you? <laughs> we have a safe word. So when we're triggered, I say pineapple. And then it helps him not take it so personally because he knows like I'm having my reaction. And then that de-escalates the, the tendency for both of us to spiral. And I can leave and do some regulation and you know, and, and come back and hopefully things will, will be a little more, um, regulated. We can co-regulate better that way. And then there was one other thing I was going to say about that, but I can't remember. Oh, and then also to, I think just having a daily practice of training the nervous system to create more bandwidth in the nervous system to, to respond to stress allows me when I am triggered and activated to keep that little bit of altitude so that I can know, oh, I'm in a flashback right now. I know how to feel it rather than my getting entirely thrust into that other reality. Mm -hmm. I can be partially there and still partially know, okay, I'm, I'm experiencing a flashback. I'm in the always forever voice. That's like, you've always been this way. He's always been this way. When I hear that, I know flashback. Um, and I can start to do something about it. Right. Okay. So this is so important for anyone who's listening to this podcast. You, you know, you're doing hard things in relationships, whether you are like, no matter how you're exploring, if you're exploring relationships as um, Ken and I focus on growth over comfort, you are automatically putting yourself in situations where you're going to go into threat states. You're going to be out past your, your edges sometimes. So it's, it's an automatic that introducing the language of the nervous system, I love how you're putting it that way, like introducing the language of the nervous system to the relationship, making that part of your shared meaning gives you a tool, another whole set of ways. It's not just one way. It's not, okay, let's all, let's all add box breathing to our toolkit. Nothing wrong with box breathing. That's fine. But I feel like that's not the level of help people need when they're really, when they want transformational relationships, right? They, you need a whole toolkit and you need shared language. You need to understand the meaning behind it. And at the same time, I noticed so many of um, our clients, they, they are, they're struggling with some of them feeling like maybe they've never been totally regulated, like the, putting themselves into these new positions. They're like, wait, what if I was never, what if I've never experienced this mystical state of being regulated? What does that mean? Can I do the hard thing? Like, is, is this even possible? What would you say to somebody who's not sure whether they've ever really been regulated? Yeah, me too. Most of my life. I mean, I am like, I'm a high A score kiddo and I lived a lot of my life in a dysregulated state, flailing around, grabbing at whatever I could to feel safe and never achieving it, right? I was an alcoholic, drug addict, binge eater. Um, I mean, all the things, right? Um, really, really high stress relationships. And I feel like that is part of the reason why I think this work is so important because it's, it's, it sucks. And it's not fair that many people who grow up with this history 
of dysregulation have a lot to contribute to the world, a lot that they want to achieve in their relationships, in their life. And in order for them to be able to have that aligned life, they have to know how to work with the nervous system and how to create that safety. And it is completely possible, but like you said, like we have to be able to speak the language of the nervous system, which is one of my partners in the neurosomatic intelligence training program. Matt Bush always says like the nervous system doesn't speak English or French or German or Spanish. It doesn't speak words. It speaks the language of sensory inputs and neurological inputs. And when you start to understand how it works and what inputs to give your unique nervous system, you can create change in that system. And when that system changes, you have a different internal state inside and regulation becomes possible, safety becomes possible, rest becomes possible. And on top of that, once you have safety, then you can have growth and connection and visibility and all these other things. But like everybody deserves to to have that. Right. Yeah. I, and when we, so we deserve connection. And so we go out and we get connection. We have relationships and now we have two nervous systems working <laughs> with each other. And one of the things- For we, good and for bad. <laughs> yeah. Because one of the things we get out of that is co-regulation, is the possibility of co-regulation. But then sometimes, I mean, I think we've already touched on that. Um, what regulates you isn't necessarily the same thing that regulates me. So um, what do we do? So part of that has to be that each person understands that when you're working with the nervous system, N equals one, right? Everybody's nervous system is completely unique and different. And we all have different deficits and past experiences and all of that. So that's kind of where it goes back to that you know, there is a level of personal responsibility in having my own nervous system practice where I have to figure out what regulation works for me. And that's, that is part of why I have the brain-based wellness website so that I can teach people a bunch of different tools and a bunch of different ways to progress their own nervous system training so that everyone can find the things that work for them because it's not going to be one blanket. Right fits Which, all for everyone. It's that's so important. So when I, so I've been part of classes that you teach at brain-based wellness, as well as our training. And when I go into that, I'm always reminded just doing like a group class. I'm always reminded of, oh, right, 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 right. I'm not the same as everyone else. Cause there we are all trying these different moves, whether that's a tongue circle or, you know, I'm tapping on part of my body or I'm moving a part of my body in a certain way, whatever I'm stimulating nerve. And I'm watching other people in this little, you know, class. Yep, we're all doing it. We're all getting different responses. And there's something about being in that situation where you're teaching, Elizabeth, that I find incredibly soothing because when Ken and I are regulating independently, but together, right? I can, we can start to feel like there's like this and that there's a polarization that happens whenever you have two people doing something where I might feel like I'm doing something wrong because I'm not getting the same reaction or response or mm. output that he is when, we're, when, and what I've noticed in your classes is that, oh yeah, we're just going to be different. There's just a really gentle humanization again of like, right, right, right. Our nervous systems operate differently. They all got programmed differently. They all had different constituent parts. It's fine. The key is to figure out what works for you and figure out how to build it into your life without the layers of judgment about, hey, I need to do this activity in order to get a positive response. You need to do that one. And that was hard for us at first because I don't know, there's just this habit of like, well, this is this move is working for me. Why isn't it working for you? For instance, like I use the vibrating object a lot. Um and not just for the reasons people might think on this particular show. <laughs> I use the vibrating object because I like a lot of stimulation. And so I'll like hold it in my teeth or touch my nose or touch my tongue or the roof of my mouth. And Ken's like, are you kidding me? And there you are <laughs> offering to jam it in my mouth. I'm like, no, that's not for me. Thanks. <laughs> right. Like just, it's just the wrong stimulus level yep. for him. And when there were yeah. just the two of us, I, th I feel like we got into a, th there's the potential for this 
unhelpful pattern of, hey, these neurosomatic tools work for me. They should work for you. Right. We put these value judgments on. Um, totally. Oh, that's not working for me. There must be something wrong with me. No, that's just yes. your uniqueness. Yeah. yeah. It's, I mean, if you think about it, the way our nervous system works, we all have our own unique neural matrix, which is formed of all of our past experiences, but also like, maybe I broke my right ankle. Maybe I've jammed my thumb. Maybe, you know, your, your body has not experienced all the exact same things that mine has. We're we're different people. Um, we have different movement patterns. We have different daily habits. All of this shapes us. And so I do think that's why it is really helpful to do this work in community sometimes, because you can really witness that and you can learn ways to assess and reassess what works for your own unique nervous system and start to really listen to that and cultivate your own practice without a lot of judgment. But especially when you do have the opportunity to see like, oh, wow, people are responding so differently to all these different types of stimulus. And that's also too why you know, it's great that people are talking more about the nervous system and providing all these really beautiful tools on social media, like on Instagram and things like do this to regulate your nervous system. And it's really important that people understand it may or may not work for you. You need to be able to reassess it. And there's nothing wrong with you if it doesn't work. It's just not the right tool for your nervous system. Or it's not dosed appropriately, or it's not yes. at the right time, or it's not in the right setting, or... That's yes. so that's why I loved training with you as you were very, very clear um, in the NSI training. You were super clear that this is a personal practice and it has to be it has to be treated the same way we would treat physical therapy. It like mm -hmm. get in there, get real personal with it. We can't generalize other than to say, here's the set of tools. And now we have to get specific. And I'm finding that the same thing is true when I talk to in particular couples um, or relational units who live together in a household, we have to talk the same way about co-regulation. Like, okay, how are we going to craft a co-regulation process that is actively beneficial, which isn't the same. I can't necessarily do that in a room full of a hundred people. But if I'm working with a couple of people or three or four people and say, okay, given what you each are learning about your nervous system, and how these tools are working for you individually. Now, how can we weave together some co-regulation practices that really do work? Um, and for Ken and I, it's been things like figuring out which bodily position we need to be in in order to have a hug be stimulating to the right degree and soothing to the right degree for both of us at the same time. Like so simple. Ooh, like, that's high level. You guys are doing <laughs> some good work. It's just really like I think so many people do. Like, like they'll they'll flip through Instagram and you'll see like a 17 second hug provides. I mean, it might if it's the right it hug might. at the right time. But um, yeah, we're right really way. specific. <laughs> Yeah, totally. And it's it's just a process of learning that. And then, yeah, I think the next layer, the next level of it is how do you take that into co-regulation with your partner or with, um, you know, anyone that you're in close relation with. And because the same things that regulate you might not regulate me. Mm -hmm. And so how do we find that common ground? And then also knowing too, co-regulation also just happens when I'm more regulated. I can step in and, and help my, my person to, to regulate and vice versa. Right. So if we can also be taking care of our nervous system, then we can enter into conversation and space and presence with each other. And even if I'm stressed out and dysregulated, or he is, you know, the, whichever one's not can be that anchor of regulation that the other person can attune to. And there's um, there's something that I wanted to mention as a me socialized male male person, person in relationship with you a socialized female woman person um, and all the attendant social pressures that come with it and all the entitlement that comes with being me. Um, so it has taken me a while to learn how not to dysregulate you in the process of regulating myself. Like there are plenty of things that I have done, because we regulate, it doesn't matter whether we know NSI or not, we do things to regulate ourselves. 
Uh, it's nice to know what they are so that you can do them on purpose, but we do things and there'd be things that I would do to regulate that were massively dysregulating for her. Right. And mm -hmm. she would ask me to stop and I'd be like, but it works for me. And that I feel like it's like a, a subset of co-regulation. It's like, okay, can we interact in a way that doesn't mm -hmm. cost one of us more than it's gaining the other? And having a meta conversation yeah. about what is what is this regulation thing? What and and why it will matter that sometimes when we're dysregulated, we actually have to separate in order to not dysregulate each other accidentally. Yeah. Like having yep. a conversation at, about it when you're not dysregulated, because when we are dysregulated, mm -hmm. and I would ask you, say that's really bothering me. Like a thing that um, Ken does is like like pop his joints, move his joints, mm -hmm. and very regulating for him. And I find it intensely challenging whistling too like like it, it throws me into a full threat state and so i'm asking him to stop something and we could not have a conversation about it in the moment right could not totally. but you can have a conversation about it outside of the moment and it's no longer about it's not just personality traits but just habits it's not even about ha your right it's about oh i'm actually doing that i'm hand flapping or i'm moving in this pattern because it's regulating me and how can we learn to live in the same setting without constantly setting each other off with the ways that we regulate our each right. ourselves? And then you might get a little dysregulated and I notice that and I start regulating myself, which does something that makes you more dysregulated and it can Basically just rip in a cartoon all the time. <laughs> and, and I wanted to say one more thing about co-regulation, which is, um, so I, I noticed when we started learning all these things, and I was like, okay, I can do some things to regulate myself. And once I started to do that, first off, it was awesome. Like, oh, to some extent, I'm calmer just knowing that when things get tricky, I can calm myself down. And so my window of tolerance kind of opened up a little bit because mm -hmm. I knew even when I get dysregulated, no problem. You know, I can come back. I can, I can be hang out here for a little bit. But what I noticed when I started regulating myself, I stopped using her. I stopped mm. using my partner. I stopped bringing the problems to my partner to take wow. all the emotional load of help me. I'm having trouble. I could help myself. I mean, all of a sudden the load on the relationship and on you as an individual decreased a that's lot. That's huge. Yeah. It's yeah, one more piece really doing huge. this work. It's um and well, we and we've no we've been talking about this more and more. Like, what is it to really show up with your with your full self in relationship? And not expect your partner to be your therapist mm -hmm. and your your project manager and your emotional caretaker and the nervous system regulation. I didn't realize that I had been the nervous system regulator for my whole family growing up. So mm -hmm. when my when each of the humans I've been married to, when each of them did that, it felt perfectly normal. Of course I was. Mm -hmm. But it also came at this intense cost. And the cost it was not one that was worth paying. It's resentment. I wind up resenting them, which we all know resentment breeds contempt. And the research tells us contempt is the fertile ground for divorce and separation. So like if you yeah. want to path back from that, working back from uh, working through the ability to regulate your own nervous system is a way to real address like at a core level, the cost of separation, divorce, tearing up our absolutely families. absolutely and the and the health consequences that come with that too like you know can you mention being a people pleaser and um you know i i think when you when you talk about um that that ability to regulate yourself so that you're not so dependent on someone else for your co-regulation there's this huge um attachment need there. Like, and I, I really relate to this because same, I didn't have the tools to regulate myself. Right. So I'm, I'm constantly seeking the need for someone that can help me to come down out of this really heightened state. And it feels life threatening to lose that bond or to not have that person. And so I will, of course, sacrifice authenticity and my own needs and anything that might bring up conflict, shove that to the side so that I keep this 
person here in place that I need to regulate me. And so until I have the tools for my own self-regulation in that way too, it's like, I can't move out of that behavior. And then in that, that struggle, that pendulum between like authenticity and attachment, I am always putting authenticity way, way far away. And then what happens though, is that then the relationships themselves can start to cause even more stress because of how much self-sacrifice there is going on and not being able to uphold my own boundaries and leaking so much energy. And then I'm more dysregulated and then I need the person more and it becomes scarier to let go of that. And I can just spiral. I, yeah. It, and, and there's a way out. Like there is a very clear, well-established evidence-based, well-researched, easily learned way through this and there's something we haven't talked about that I think really deserves some airtime. And that's how fast this can work, both on a small scale, because I the reason I wanted to learn NSI as one of my coaching modalities was because people can do it in 30 seconds, right? Like it's just fast in the moment. But also, I don't know that I've told you this, Elizabeth, but we like, so we did our training while we were living in a tent. <laughs> In the backyard of my childhood home, my which is, you know, the scene of the crime. And also, while we were literally decimating our entire home and rebuilding it and incurring huge amounts of, of cost to do so. So you might say it was a very stressful time. Um, it was incredible. This was with all the children crammed and like intense, all of the like just so high stress while still yeah. running a business getting a second master's degree. He was get, getting a new job promotion. Okay. If stress I recall, level. there was a pandemic also. Oh, right. There might have been one of those. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Just so a little stress. Yeah. So the stress level is so high. And I knew I wanted to learn this modality for myself because I like I'd worked with you enough to know like, yes, this works, but I hadn't made it a day-to-day -day practice yet. And I wanted to learn it. And the speed at which it changed how I was reacting in my life was like within a month, I like everything was different within a month, yeah. like within a month. And we had like weekly meetings and in between there, I was spending maybe a half an hour um, per day tops, sometimes 10 minutes. I yeah. just I, like, if I had a highlighter for the air, I would like highlight this phrase. It was like a month of effort and our nervous systems shifted. I noticed the kids started to shift again, even though they were in incredibly highly intensive stress themselves. Um, and they weren't even doing the nervous system work with us. They hadn't bought in yet. They were just experiencing, they were just experiencing. our reduced activation right. day to day. So you have, you've outlined a path where <laughs> that is so damn efficient that I, I'm, I'm shocked and almost appalled that we weren't all taught this as children, but here we are, here we are today. What can people do? Because I really do think it's one of the most practical moves we can make to have better relationships. What, how can people learn more from you, learn more about how to bring this into their life? Yeah. So the best way to get started with your daily practice, because you're right, change at the level of the nervous system is instantaneous. It's lightning quick. So in that moment, you can create change right then. And then with repetition, definitely no more than 30 minutes a day, anywhere between like 10 to 20 minutes a day, you can see real change pretty quickly in your life, in your relationships, in your behaviors. And then that is sustained, but it does require repetition and practice and progressive training. So the best way to do that is on the site. And you can actually go to freeneurotrial.com and get two free weeks of training with me. I'm on there live. I'll answer all your questions. Um, we have great facilitators on there and just get started with the practice. And really in those two weeks, you could find a bunch of tools. And then if you want to keep going and progressing your training, you can. Um, it's definitely the brain likes novel stimulus. It's good to keep progressing your training, but even if you just wanted to start with those two free weeks, that's a great place to start. I, awesome. I love this so much. And I, I, when people are doing hard things in their relationships, if they add this piece in, what I'm seeing is they just have better results. So I want to say on behalf of the community of people who are training with me, 
I'm getting a lot of really positive response. And yeah. I just wanted to say there was a collective thank you um, coming from them saying like, wow, this like this is different. This is actionable. It's right now. It's right in front of them. And so thank you for. Thank you guys. Thank you guys for doing the work and being willing to incorporate it into your business and put it out into the world. I mean, that means the world to me. And so I really appreciate that. Mm -hmm. Thanks so much for having this conversation too. I know we're going to ask you to come back because there is just, I feel like we could deep dive so far into this, but thank you so much. I would love to. I would love to anytime. (laughs) There's no one right way to design your relationship. And lots of people, actually about 25%, according to a recent national survey, are interested in some type of open relationship. But how do you know if you are ready to open up happily? Not everyone is, and that's no problem. I've got a 60-second quiz that will give you the answer. And even better, you'll walk away with your next step, whether you're good to go or not so much when it comes to opening up. And this is no BuzzFeed nonsense. I personally designed this quiz from my years of academic research. Go to joliquiz.com. That's J-O-L-I-Q-U-I-Z.com and find out if you're ready to open up happily and what to do if you are or if you're not.